Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Caught in a work conflict? Not sure what to do? Today on Conflict Managed, Marlene Chisholm, seasoned speaker, thought partner, advisor, coach, and author, encourages us to change the narrative in difficult circumstances. Marlene recounts a situation at work where she backed down from what was in her best interest. Convinced, there's nothing I can do about it, She was encouraged to rethink that narrative and be creative. She wasn't powerless. She could choose to act. Listen to find out how one act of courage can change a person's life. Marlene Chisholm is CEO of Marlene Chisholm Consulting, which offers a comprehensive suite of consulting services to businesses and leaders. Wildly recognized as the leading U.S. authority on stopping workplace drama, she works with C-suite leaders to develop drama-free cultures at drive growth and reduce costly mistakes. Marlene is known for helping managers address the elephant in the room and initiate conversations that get results. Her expertise includes leadership development, conflict management, and strategic communications. Her latest work is From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. Good morning, Marlene, and welcome to Conflict Manage. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Mary, and thank you for having me. It's such a treat to have you here. Um, I was wondering if we can just go ahead and start right in, and would you tell us a little bit about your work history? Oh, wow. Um, For the part of this career, really, it started out as professional speaking. It kind of led to um, some training. In the middle of that, I got my master's degree, and my capstone was called Drama in the Workplace Hampers Productivity, the Effect of Relationships on the Bottom Line. So I have a real interest in drama, relationships, conflict, communication skills. Then I sort of got interested in consulting, and I really view consulting as an umbrella where it might be coaching, it might be teaching, it might be leadership development. So in my mind, consulting is a way to say, let's get clear on what you need versus I've just got this training or this module. It's really getting clear on how I can help you, the client and, and your employees. That sounds fantastic. I mean, I feel like we are separated at birth. I have very many of the same ideas about consulting and about drama-free relationships and the bottom line. So how did you get interested in, um, so when you're doing your master's degree and you decide to work on those problems, why? What had happened was in my search for really what I think of as life purpose or a career that I really wanted, um, previous to that, which I didn't mention, I was a blue collar factory worker for 21 years. And in that search for purpose, you know, I had that awakening that a lot of people have at about age 35, 37, where you're like, there's got to be something more, even if you're already highly successful there's that feeling of, I want something more. What could it be? And I didn't understand 
empowerment and choice and responsibility and all these things were, were all just kind of programmed from birth. And I went on what I call the search. And I started saying, I don't know what I want, but I know this isn't it. And during that time, I ended up going to a very transformational experiential workshop where the drama triangle was introduced just briefly, but it was life changing. And so I started studying the Cartman drama triangle and understanding how we get into dysfunctional patterns. And it made me see my family of origin like it wasn't just this is how it is. These things have been studied by psychologists and psychiatrists and social scientists. So when I started getting a taste for that, and that was earlier on going back to school to get my bachelor's degree, that's when I just found what I loved to study. And that's really a part of doing what you love is loving to study it because you can do something and make lots of money. But if you don't love the constant study and growth in it and you can't apply it, it's of no use. So the study itself was just interesting to me. Could you tell our listeners about the drama triangle? Yes, the drama triangle is a transactional analysis tool. And if you picture a triangle with one point facing down and the other two points on the left and the right, the idea is that when relationships are dysfunctional, you'll see orientations or what I call it to make it more useful in practical life is patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking. And so at the bottom of the triangle is the victim mindset, the victim behavior, the I'm always down, it's always me that gets hurt. It's always me that this happens to. I don't have any choice. But the battle cry of the victim is I had no choice. And I often say responsibility is at first the recognition of choice. You cannot live a responsible life if you feel you never have choices. And so I started seeing my own choices. At the upper left is the persecutor. And that's in the workplace. That would be the high performer that doesn't get along with anyone else. The one that always is right. The one that's proving their point. The one that has no grace. Uh, often they are very high performers. Uh, but it can be the pot stirrer that's not a good performer, but that's the persecutor role, which is always judgmental, eye-rolling behaviors of that are aggressive and undermining. And then to the right is the rescue position. And that is what most people identify with because we somehow think that's the good role. Um, and you know, that's, well, I'm a rescuer. So even though I'm on the drama triangle, at least I'm trying to help. But the reality is I actually talked to Dr. Cartman in my eagerness, I reached out to people of high esteem, not realizing, you know, they may not talk to me, but I was just so interested. And I said, oh, I've found myself, I'm a rescuer. I've stopped that dynamic in my family, you know, and, and I've really stopped rescuing. He said, but do you realize that if you are one role, you're all of them? And I said, no, I didn't. That was another eye-opening experience that it's so easy to look at what everybody else is doing and to justify your own victim mindset or your own persecuting. And I realized then I have a lot of persecutory tendencies, eye-rolling, interrupting, needing to be right, justifying, you know, whatever. So it's really taught me about becoming a creator. And that's been a journey of 20 some odd years now. But that model, I know a lot of people think, well, it's old news. It, it's it's universal. It will work because the real key is about you changing you. It's not about, it is so easy to look at when someone else is doing it. And I still do that. But I always say, well, when I'm looking at someone else, that's my interpretation that I need to look, what am I doing to help that gain continue? Because the idea 
the way that I say it is, it takes two to play games unless you're playing solitaire. And I play solitaire plenty of times. I'm playing drama in my head and I'm making up stories about why someone did something versus just being in the unknown and saying, what are my choices? Because it is what it is and the circumstances are what they are and the facts are as they are. But, you know, I also say knowing your feelings won't change the facts, but knowing the facts can change your feelings. And when you change your feelings, you change your experience. So it's all very circular, as is the drama triangle. That's fabulous. Thank you so much for that explanation. I like what you said that it's nothing new. And I always find that reassuring because it's just we're talking about humans and how humans interact. And I do think we can learn a lot from psychologists and social scientists and the hard sciences that can help us. But it's not that they're going to uncover that we're aliens or something else. We're humans. We've been interacting. And the more that we can as professionals in the conflict resolution area, break that down and make it simple, not all the jargon, because it really is about how do we have these human to human interactions? How do I understand myself? How do I understand the other? And breaking it down in that way can help us see, oh, we do have a part to play. We have been involved and we can stop it. We have the power. We are making choices, even if we say we're not making choices. Of course, we're making choices. Yeah. And, and, you know, I always say that, you know, breaking that down, even to say that we're always, we're not always choosing because if it's unconscious, like choice implies, which I, I'm only getting deep here. I don't most of the time, I think your listeners would love this. If, even if we don't, if we don't know it, we say, well, we're still choosing. But if you look at it from this perspective of we're ingrained programmed patterns. So I look at it this way. We're not always choosing, but we're always creating. And when you separate creating from choice, you say choice is about consciousness. And so we are choosing unconsciously. But the way I like to say it is we're not always choosing, but we're always creating. So if I know that whatever's happening is of my creation, either consciously or unconsciously, when I'm willing to bring up those unconscious parts, I now have the power of creative choice in that I can, I have power to mold my own life and my own behavior. But most people do not know this. And I fall into this pattern still of it's someone's fault, some situation Well, you would feel the same way if you were me or you didn't have this happen to you, which is all factual. However, what are my choices? Even so, right? I, I saw Dr. Phil one time uh, when someone complained about eating right, you know, he was talking about diet and they said, I just don't think it's fair. You're saying, you know, lower your carbs up your protein, don't snack after seven o'clock. My neighbor eats ice cream all day long and junk food, barbecues all weekend, and she's still skinny. He said, so what are you going to do? Complain about her? It's not about her. It's about what works for you. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we start realizing that we can make changes and deciding what kind of hard we're going to do, because living in toxic work environments or, um, being in the unmanaged conflict is really difficult, but it is also difficult to have the courage to have the wherewithal and the skills to deal with conflict. But once you know that you have a choice and you have the skills, then you can see, oh, I'm choosing not to do something about it, but I can make a different choice and I can make a different reality, either mentally with my environment or both. 
Yeah, I love that what you're saying. And, and it's true that even if I don't know how yet, that's I call it getting stuck on the rock called how. But I don't know how, but I but I don't know how. I already know what they're going to say. Of course they're going to say what you know, you've had experience. However, it's not about what they're going to say. It's about what are you going to do that's going to give you the strength of character that says they may say the thing I think they're going to say. And I make space in myself for that to happen versus I don't want that to happen. So therefore, I'm just going to wall off and, and blame them. So I always say, okay, so they might say that. Are you willing for them to say it and just hold space and not argue? Because that's when you start shifting the reality is when you do your own inner work and you don't worry about you, you might, you know, conceptualize or strategize about what you think they might say, but in that you have to hold space for them to say something different because I find very often myself that if I come from a different place, they will say something different. And it's not that I'm trying to manipulate that to happen. It's just that I'm cleaning up my energy, which also cleans up some of theirs because I'm not entangled in that, in that mess. Absolutely. Right. If I'm in this argument, you know, I've got to get the facts and I need you to believe a certain thing and I need you to do a specific thing versus I've prepared, I've clarified, I'm looking at specific behaviors I'm going to tell you what I need. I want to hear what you need. Yes. And I want to work together with you. If you come in that win-win collaborative mindset, that is most of the conflict because the conflict has to do with you and it, your perceptions and your feelings at more than really than the other person. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. Um, one of the tenets of my new book from conflict to courage, which has gotten people to go, that's not true, is it? And and I think it is, and I'm willing to be wrong about it. But one of the things that I just, it's built the foundation on, there is no conflict unless there's an inner conflict first. What that means is I may need to have a conversation with someone, but I want them to like me. So my inner conflict is the fear that I won't be liked versus the need to clear something up or the fear that I won't get this deal, make this money, get this opportunity if I speak honestly about what my barrier is. So we have inner conflict. And the good news is, is that we're not sociopaths. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because the reason we have inner conflict is because we care about how someone else feels, how we feel. But I, I really fully believe at the root of it, it's more about, it's not so much that I care about you crying, it's how I feel when you cry. If I can understand that, it's okay for you to cry because you're a human and it's not wrong to have feelings that come up. And I have compassion for those feelings. I'm not responsible for them. That's when I can be fully present to someone's anger, pain, discomfort, and not take that on as mine. And to say, yeah, I feel some discomfort too, but we don't have to be here in, in 15 minutes. Like it's just a human reaction to the way I'm interpreting or experiencing this. And I can reinterpret it and I can hold that opportunity and space for you to like play with those shifts in your own mind or like grab onto that and think about it because that's how we help people grow. And sometimes it's a little painful, but what I'm working on right now is really being present and meeting people where they are because sometimes me as I'm kind of a fast processor, fast thinker, tend to be more on the aggressive side. And I sometimes jump about three steps beyond where someone is and I'll maybe sound argumentative whereas I would need to ask a question or to check in like is this going to be palatable you know I'm trying to do that more because that's where my growth is right now I've, I've been on the opposite end where I've been very sensitive but as you grow you get less sensitive and then you go the other direction for a while 
Yeah. I love what you say about courage. Courage. Um, so I taught philosophy for 23 years and wow. I did a lot of uh, Greek philosophy, very interested in, in, in the virtue in the virtues. And so you have the four cardinal virtues, wisdom, courage, justice, and moderation. And I've always seen, you know, they all have to work together, but courage is, they say wisdom is the mother virtue, but if you don't have courage, then you don't get to do any of it. That's right? true. And courage. Um, I also work with, um, a practitioner in London, David Little, and he has something called the seven C's uh, um, and how, how we work together, uh, courage, connection, common purpose, and so forth. But the first one is courage. So I, this emphasis on courage, and a lot of it is starting with yourself, as, as you've said, courage to look at ourselves, courage to see our failings, our, our needs, our emotions, our strengths, and to turn that mirror inward. Because the conflict mirror is usually out. You've done this to me. You're making my life miserable. You, you, you. And all that may be some, sure. you know, right. But, <laughs> turn, right. but turning that into, okay, but what about me? How can I act out a place of strength, of courage for my good and for your good, the good of our environment and our community? And that takes courage. It does. And courage is on the other side of the comfort zone always. And that's how you know that when you're feeling discomfort, it's a call for courage. And I think courage is the bridge between conflict to connection. And um, you won't have connection with someone that you're in conflict with without the courage, the courage to be wrong, the courage to speak up, the courage to set a boundary. It's the, the what is the thing we don't know, right? right? But whatever it is that makes us uncomfortable, that's opposite of the patterns we've held with that person is probably what's called for. And, and I've done a lot of work in, you know, with LinkedIn, I have like five programs or courses there. One of them, my first one is on anger management, which I honestly feel like I've had anger, if you want to say anger problems, but it made me do my own work to say that anger is not a problem. It's energy that wants to go somewhere and it's telling you something. So it's not shameful to have anger. We often are ashamed of how we behaved in that moment because it felt like the truth. And I always say anger is not the truth, but it's the fuel that can get you there. It's trying to get your attention. And what I have found, and this is just true in my own life and many of my clients, like anger is generally a message that you need to set a boundary or that you need to speak your truth. Because if you're, you know, I was talking with a client the other day that said, oh, I've let someone stay on for, you know, six months. It's a poor performer. And I've told them to be looking for a job. And I said, why so long? You know, why, you know, if you don't know how to create an improvement plan or, or really get clear about what you really need. And I said, I've got a question just out of my own curiosity. Do you find yourself being who you're not really? In other words, you're getting frustrated, sharp, snappy, resentful, and angry. He said, yes, yes. How did you know? I said, because when we go against our own needs and values, we always feel like it's someone else, but it's always about my boundary, my truth, my choices. Oh, that's, I love that. And I love what you said about courage being the bridge to connection. And when you think about nonviolent communication and this real call to paying attention to your feelings, your feelings are telling you something. And we, sometimes we are embarrassed of, of our, our feelings. We think they're wrong or shameful. No, we understand our feelings and then how to act on them because feelings are good. I mean, imagine if we took our feelings away how awful would that be? We would be these little computers, but we're not. And our emotions are good and they are telling us, um, they're telling us and we should pay attention. 
because uh, our feelings are going to come out one way or the other. So why not do it intentionally and make uh, the choices that are in line with our values? And here's something that I've been practicing too that I think will be helpful to people. When we have a feeling, we create a belief or a narrative. We create a storyline, which can be full of facts, but just full of our interpretation, our narrative. And I took a course in narrative coaching, and this has really stuck with me. I've been sharing it a lot because it's helpful to people. Um, the story that's been resolved no longer needs to be told. So if we're continuing to talk about the divorce five years ago, you know, the the illness that I almost didn't get over, the raise that I should have had, it's not that it didn't happen. And you have a right to feel what you feel. But what happens is the feelings also contribute to interpretations. And so we have to learn how to say, well, when I'm feeling this, my truth feels like this. You're doing that on purpose. You're against me because of my age, my gender, my color, whatever that is. We have a story which may or may not be accurate. So what I have started doing is part of, of what's in the book as well is really start to face your dark side and don't be afraid of it. If you hate someone right now, journal it, write about it, watch it, look at it and go, wow, that's interesting because two days later you won't feel that way. And you can look on that and go, wow, there's some violence within me. Um, that is really immature that I would hate for anybody to know about. And the more we suppress that reality, because we all have it, we all have jealousy, we all have fear, we all have hatred, we all have resentments, judgments against other people for, for reasons that are ridiculous. So when people are out there trying to change everyone else's bias, that's a problem. Just deal with your own. Look at what you do, because you do it. And, and if you write it down and journal it, it's really hard to look at and it will cause some feelings. I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, The Untethered Soul. No, uh, I haven't. It's very good because the writer, and he's got a recent one that I'm reading. I can't think of the, the title of it right now, but it is so good because what it's teaching you is to feel the feeling of the emotion in your body and to like let it process instead of like lashing out and making someone else wrong and going on a rampage open up to where that dissipates, get to know it. Because when you get to know it, you can work with your interpretation and you can separate fact from the story I'm making about it. Then you know your next step. Do I need to clarify? Do I need to tell someone I found that to be hurtful and I want to clear it up? Maybe it wasn't meant to be, or maybe it was, and they're going to own that, that they were having a bad day and they wanted to lash out. But the only way you're going to create connection and, and rebuild is to be honest about whatever you're going through and, and even sharing that with others from a place of detachment and that they may not care. And now, you know, but the point that I make about that is if you don't tell someone that something bothers you and they keep doing it, they do it with the excuse that I didn't know you acted like it was funny. I thought it was okay. I do that with everyone else. They don't care. But once I tell you and you keep doing it, you do it with knowledge. That is a different situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we expect people, you know, we have this magical thinking. We say they should have known. They ought to know. People are not mind readers and you no. don't really know their past or their motivation. And so you need to articulate it, which means that you need to understand. And th this idea of um, looking at our emotions and not shying away, I, I find uh, meditation helpful to, you know, think, you know, we are not our emotions. Mm -hmm. um, we are not, or we are not our thoughts and, but to be able to be in a space and look at the thought and let it pass through and not try to hold tight and keep it down, but let it come up and be what it is and notice it and watch it 
and think about it. Uh, journaling, I, I agree, is a very powerful because we can shock ourselves, but then we can have this this conscious dialogue instead of whatever's going on in the back. Yeah, and you make peace with a part of yourself that you are a little bit ashamed of or that you think others would judge. And when you make peace with that, you're just not as judgmental toward other people because you go, oh, that's being human. Oh, that's what that feels like to hurt and have that background and to have that experience. You don't discount someone's lived experience. You just say, that's what it feels like to be them. And I'm just going to listen and I'm going to ask questions. And But what we do instead is we tell people that's not the way it is. And we use facts and we use stats and we get arguments on social media. And I've never met anyone that said, you know, after they called me an idiot and gave four <laughs> facts, I totally see the light and I, I'm a person. <laughs> right. <laughs> that does not happen. That is correct. That's right. We are connecting with people or we are um, disconnecting with people and calling names, sure way to put up those with those walls. Your new book, From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading, um, just sounds fantastic. Because if you want to lead, you've got to deal with the hard stuff. And that's how you create psychological safety. People know that you're not just the fun time leader, that you can be with them with the real struggles and conflict, I, I was looking at your webpage and some other things that you have done, and I agree 100%. Conflict's not the problem. Conflict is good. It's the unmanaged conflict. Mm -hmm. So helping people manage conflict. I was wondering if you could tell us about a time in your work career, either in this new phase of life or your earlier phase of life, that was a really good work experience. And why was it good for you? Mm. Well, if you want to just talk good bosses, and I probably didn't appreciate it at the time, because when you're young, you're not thinking, is this good leadership? You, you just know that you like and trust your boss, right? Like that's how you perceive it when you're before you're trying to do anything significant. So if I want to talk about good bosses, I did have some really good bosses that helped me to grow and gave me opportunities. And, you know, I did jobs that would be done by men most of the time and they trusted me. And like, really, I look back, I'm thinking that was, wow, <laughs> that was quite a leap. You know, I did things that took a lot of responsibility. And my boss said, the reason I want you to do it is because I just trust your initiative and your willingness to learn. And like that really was part of my identity of having a boss see me that way. So I, I did have some of that, but I didn't fully appreciate it. And I didn't even recognize it. But I think it's just because of who they were as, as their character. It was just, they had a solid inner core, you know? So I had a lot of, really quite a few that I really think were pretty good people that just by the nature of who they were, I don't know that they'd ever taken a leadership course. Um, and I've also been around those that they just got out of the communication course where they said, I feel and when you and I could tell that it was all very plastic. So um, I really do think that it's not only about the learned skills. It's more about who you are, because even if you say it wrong, if someone perceives that you are safe and that they trust you and that they want relationship, they want your growth. That is primary skills or secondary. So when you're already there internally and then you learn different ways to navigate and say that just makes you brilliant. And so I think the ones that I had were just of high character. Yeah. You know, that's such an interesting point. When uh, we see a new initiative in an organization, we're going to be values first or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. So many people roll their eyes. Oh, another initiative. Oh, this is going to be the new campaign. 
but our boss is still micromanaging us, or there's no way to deal with this conflict I've been in for two years. True. What's the real plan? And so you say this, but what about my lived experience? I, I, I love my job, I, or I love what I do. I want to be free to do it, but there's all this other stuff, and I don't see anybody coming to the rescue. I don't see anybody helping to make this a flourishing environment. And that's, I think, the hard thing about business is that we just want the statistics. We just want the program, but we aren't programs. We are people. And that is time intensive. There's no a way around it. Good leaders look into the individual and see them. And that takes time to see and then to feel seen. And, and you know, even at the top, this has been my lately my experience. Um, you've got to stop looking at the spreadsheet only. When you're making business decisions, stop looking at the spreadsheet, making a story out of those numbers. Look at how what you're going to do is going to affect the people that work there, the people that lead, the people that are managing, the customers, the you know the clients, the customers, the vendors. Look at how those decisions, not just then if we do this and we cut three people and we take away this one department and we ship that out, you know what? And then you have so much turnover that it takes you four years to get to where you thought you were going to get to in one year. So like at the very top level of decision-making, senior leaders, stop looking at the spreadsheet only and get real about how people are, right? Like look at both. You've got to look at both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've got to look at individuals and everybody wants the blueprint. Everybody wants the thing to say, but, and, and I've had this question so many times we've had like from small businesses, we've had this leadership training and these models by Stephen Covey and by the table group and by Brene Brown, but people aren't doing it. Why? Well, number one, you're mixing so many different leaders, thought leaders, and it's not your own, which is fine. You know, you're asking me to use their content for one thing, which isn't going to work. Another thing is embodiment is different than memorizing a, a list of values and a list of prescriptions, subscriptions, uh, directions, uh, statements, models, like memorizing it is not going to get you there. It's a lived embodied, which you've got to take slower. And you've got to talk about how I lived that value, how I made a decision with that value entwined versus we're living so incongruent with what we say we are that yeah. people are miserable because they feel this energy is like it's two arrows going in opposite directions. Who we say we are is not who we really are. And what I say about that is no judgment there. There's only two ways to align, either tell yourself the truth or course correct. So if this is how you really are, make that your values because then it'll be aligned. Yeah. And I agree. I think that, you know, you know, what is the best kind of leader, an introvert, an extrovert, someone who does this, someone who does that. Well, the best leader is who you are, right? And then going from your strengths and we can learn skills. If by nature you are fearful, you can develop the habit of courage. You can develop the habit of moderation, but it is not overnight. No. And, and that's the thing you don't, you know, you can go to a week-long seminar and think this is right, but you don't get those habits the next day. You get those habits by making a mindful decision that today I'm going to say hello to my secretary <laughs> instead of bark orders. Today, I'm going to do this. If you've got to put it on your calendar, if you've got whatever it is, but once you start doing it, 
then people will feel it because it's not what you say, it's what they feel. And Absolutely. of course that affects the bottom line. When you have happy people, they're going to do more. They're going to be engaged. That goes to the customer. It goes to productivity, creativity. So the bottom line is helped by treating your people well. Yes, because they'll be loyal and they'll have feelings for you and they'll help create if you're open to that. And, you know, within that, I always say too, people support what they help to create, but don't appease people by telling them something's a good idea when you're not going to implement it. That's the other mismanagement of conflict, right? Yeah. Because I like it that I'm, oh, I'm engaging people. That works. That feels so wonderful. Their eyes sparkled. I said, great idea. Glad you're engaging. We'll talk about that in the next quarter. And the next quarter it rolls around. They're expecting their place in the sun where you're bringing their idea to light and you've forgotten about it because you never meant it. So it's about being honest too. Like even to say, I love that you're engaging because that tells me you're interested. Let me educate you as to what the top is guiding us to and why that's not going to work based on that. However, that just tells me that you need to know more about that. The very nature that you're thinking like this tells me that your leadership material or that you're engaging or that you're doing what I'm asking. Here's how I want to navigate that because I would hate for you to think that I agree with something that I have no power to change. That's the conversation you have, not, oh, I love it. Good for you. That's so patronizing. Yeah. And that is one way we mismanage our inner conflict of, well, I got them to engage. So now if I say that's not going to work, I just smacked them upside the head. Not true. Right. They want to understand. Right. They want to understand why their ideas might work or, or not work. Right. And that's inclusion. Inclusion is encouraging everybody to come to the table, giving their ideas, their input, knowing we're not going to use them all, but telling people like, oh yeah, that's a, I appreciate you said that it's not going to work right now for these reasons, but I want to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Simple things that we can say. So people understand clear and direct communication. It is not kind to lie. No, It is not kind, as you said, to, to patronize. Yeah. Well, I was wondering also, I like to talk about negative work experiences because we all have them. Has there been a difficult work experience and, and that you've experienced and what was difficult about it for you? Hmm. Yes, I do have a particular situation and story. I did have a supervisor, um, one of my supervisors that I, I say he had three three uh, sayings for every problem. If you went to him with a problem, he'd say, um, I didn't ask you to work here. It's not my problem. If you don't like to find yourself another place to work. So therefore, even if you had an idea like working on factory lines, like maybe the box was jamming and it just caused so much exhaustion and overwork and rework to get the product out. If you went to him and said, look, that that data is jamming and, you know, we're having to stay over. We're having to do this or we're having to work double and skip our breaks. Look, you know, no one asked you to work here. Not my problem. If you don't like it, find yourself another place to work. So therefore, are you going to go to that person to bring a problem because they view problem, they view complaining. You know, if I would have known as an employee how to come with a solution, but I didn't know that. But the boss has to be the boss, right? Just like the parents have to be the parent. And the kid is going to be the kid. If the boss would interpret complaining as they care, let's coach this. Let's figure out what the solution might be. Maybe they have a solution versus you're a troublemaker and, and I'm in my office and that's for you to go figure out how to call a mechanic or whatever. Um, so I had that feeling about this boss, very unapproachable. And there was a point in my journey when I was figuring out what I wanted to do. And 
I was going to college and working. And so I needed a Friday off because I was doing a weekend class and I had put in for my vacation. And uh, the rule was that at the beginning of the year, you put in for your, you had a week full of single days you could take. And I had already done that. I'd not heard no. Um, the year was already in full force. And so, but I was working on my own communication and my own forgiving and my own like clean up what I can. So I, uh, I was getting ready to leave on a Thursday and I thought maybe I should just step in as a note of kindness to say, well, I guess I'll see you Monday. You know, I'm off Friday. And when I did that, he said, what? I need you tomorrow. I didn't know you were off. And I said, really? And I said, well, I put in for it. He dug around the files. He goes, yeah, you sure did. I just haven't gotten to that yet. And I rescued. I said, well, that's okay. I can come on in. My ulterior motive was to have him go, no, thank you for telling. That was my ulterior motive, but I didn't know it. Because that's how we rescue and we were not honest with people. I didn't let that space of discomfort be there for him to fix it. I said, oh, that's okay. I can come in. He goes, yeah, you're going to have to. And I went, okay. And I walked out and I thought like it didn't work. And I, I played the game with myself. If I'm not the type to get angry about mistakes, I mean, I he's human and I'm playing this game. And when I got home, I had a big blow up over something that wasn't even related. And what I've learned is that if you suppress anger, it will come out on something else. That was a learning for me. Well, that night I had a women's group that we were working all these things from that experiential workshop I told you about. And I was telling the story and I said, well, there's nothing I can do now. And they said, oh, there's all kinds of things you can do. You see, responsibility is the recognition of choice. And I said, well, what what is that? And um, they said, well, let's let's walk through it. You know, you could call in and you could justify it by saying he should have known and there was nothing he can do if I say I'm sick. And um, or you could just go back and know that you're going to fix it the next time. But what I've learned is if you don't fix it, then you don't fix it the next time because you haven't broken the pattern. And so um, or you could actually go in and talk with him in the morning and see if he would let you take off without pay if you want to do that. And I thought, wow, that is that was the scariest option for me. And I decided that was what I was going to do. And I was going to use skills I was learning. So I approached him 10 minutes before time to clock in. And I said, I need to talk to you. I need it to be before I clock in and I need the door to be shut. And it just needs to be us. And he kind of rolled his chair back. And I said, and first of all, I'm really, really nervous. And he said, what? And he looked at me like, what? And I said, I'm really afraid you're going to raise your voice. I'm just going to ask you to hear me out. And he kind of rolled back and was very curious because I broke the pattern of behavior. And I said, I was dishonest with you yesterday. I acted like it was okay that I come in when I had done what I'm supposed to do. And he goes, well, like I said, you should have. I said, what should I have done? Because I definitely want to learn. He goes, well, no, you were right. And so we got that far. We got in agreement about what it was right. And I said, so here's what I'm asking. Would you be willing? And that's one of the magic phrases I use in my work. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to let me go ahead and take off? I know that I won't get paid for vacation because um, I, I think I'd already clocked in, actually. And I said, and you'll have to pay someone maybe to take my place. But I'm just asking if you're willing. He said, I'm willing. I'm willing. I, I mean, you know, I'll do anything to help you. It's just that I wasn't prepared and we're running extra. And you know, if you work in a factory, you're a cog in a wheel. You're important when you're important and you don't matter when you don't matter. That, that's how it was. And so he said, yeah, I'll work. Go on back to the line. I'll try to I'll work on it. And I went back to the line knowing that he would not do anything. But I had this high that I've never felt before. I can't even explain it. It, it triggered something in me that lasted until now in that the courage that it took to do that and not be afraid of the screaming and the, it's not my job, didn't ask you to work here kind of stuff. And 
to my surprise, in about 30 minutes, he came back and said, I've got someone that can come in at 10. And if that's not soon enough, I'll relieve you right now. And I went, I was like, yeah. And he, then we had a great talk and then I just, something happened and I went, God, what did I just do? And I wrote down the things. Then I organized those things into what I now call the labor principles. Listen, ask for what you want, set boundaries on your stuff and represent yourself. Actually, I started with asking for what I want and owning my stuff, but the labor principles it, it to organize it in that way helps me to coach people with those particular skills to say what part of this, where do you need to start first? Almost always listening to yourself and to other people, but the labor principles is just a core part of my work. It has been for over 20 years. Wow. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. It's amazing, but what we don't do out of fear. And how we can, you just disrupted the situation, the pattern, and it changed in such an unexpected way. So many times we supply the narrative for somebody else. Oh, they're not going to, oh, I know them. And we don't give them a chance to grow, to develop, to listen, to be heard, to hear their perspective. And people can surprise us when we trust them because we've trusted ourselves. Yeah. And it was okay if he did that. Like I just made it okay. If he did do that, I was just going to be in my power and like, hopefully not triggered. I, I mean, you never know until you, after you've had the conversation, but what I knew for sure, because before I went to talk to him, I kept thinking, I already know what he's going to say. Um, when I get out of here and I become a professional, then I'll do these things. See, that's the story we tell ourselves, but I can't do it now because I have no real authority or power and I can't speak upwards you know to me a supervisor was powerful i look at it now and i'm thinking you're pretty much on the same level just two notches above but at that when you're at the lowest level you see someone even one notch above you as almighty at least i did at, at that time and and so what i something that came to me was that if i can't do it right from where i am i'll never have power enough to teach it so that was my driving force it was the game i was playing in my head is that i have to be that person now even though I'm in a uniform and a hairnet and I'm watching the macaroni fly by and peeling out the rejects, I've got to act as though I'm already there. And that's what I did. Thank you for sharing that. That's very powerful. I'm so happy that you found that courage, that wherewithal. And you had been going through a process and that's, you know, we go through process, we learn, we grow. And if we have that growth mindset and if we're curious we don't have to be where we're going to end up, right? Mm -hmm. But you start the process. And as soon as you start it, you've won half the battle because all of a sudden you see differently. Now you have different responses available to you, a different life available. And I love that you had a bunch of other women to talk through. I think that's so important that we can support each other. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to figure out your conflicts and your own stuff on yourself. There are so many ways that you can find others to help you and you can help them in a really reciprocal, life-giving uh, manner to help each other. Yeah. We all need help. And, and what's helpful, that was almost like a group coaching. I'm so thankful for just the synchronicity because there were certain principles that this group ascribed to. The problem sometimes with talking to other people is they will justify bad behavior because of their level of consciousness. So you have to get clear as a group or your friends, like what is your, what is your, what are your founding principles, behaviors? Is it responsibility? Is it justice? Is it 
integrity because that's what you have to operate by. It's not just about someone making you feel better because I know so many people that they just want to feel good about their avoidance. Yeah, but I just don't want to feel bad. Yeah, but that just makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, then you probably need to do it. If it makes you feel uncomfortable, it means you're going to grow. And we often seek out agreement rather than that real support. So it is really important, like if you've got a, a book club or a group of people that you all make some sort of informal agreement about our growth and how to support each other and how do we give advice or do we just listen? Do we ask questions? Because if you want to do that, it's it's a less expensive way than hiring someone. But where we get off track is we don't have the skills or knowledge and therefore we start just enabling each other to be the, our weaker selves. And this group was, it. oh, we got angry. We 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 got angry. I mean, in this, this um, workshop that I went to, I mean, I saw people beat pillows, cuss, scream, talk about their abuse. I've never been through anything like that in my life. It opened my world though, because there's so much game playing out there and we're walking around acting happy and people have all these pains and traumas inside. And it, it, that was life-changing for me. And it, it's lasted up until now. Yeah. Well, as we end our conversation today, when you look into the, the future of work, what is your vision that will help to bring about a healthy work environment where not only do we have engaged high performers, but people are free to flourish and be their brilliant selves? Uh, that we start seeing ourselves and others as creators, and we see the gifts and values that each person brings, and that we are as humans completely equal. The reason being that as Eckhart Tolle says, in seven years or 70, we'll all be nothing but piles of dust. <laughs> and so in that way, we are 100% equal. And if we can realize that and get rid of all this other stuff, that's just noise and distraction. And we are free to create and work on our own journey, take responsibility for our experience, let others take responsibility for theirs and, and really negotiate when we're at odds with that. I think that's, I think responsibility and being creators is really the key. I love that. It just seems like those go hand in hand because once you see that you can create, that you don't have to be stuck and things aren't just happening to you, but that you happen to the world, now you can take responsibility because, oh, I'm making a choice not to grow or not to change. But if I'm a creator, then I get to do, I'm active. And the, we say the good life is the active life where we're actively, consciously, intentionally participating, making choices and therefore taking responsibility for the good and the ill. I remember one time I was at a, a restaurant with some senior executives. And I had a assistant I was considering working with me. She was kind of interning with me. And I wasn't, I didn't feel in my mind that I was there yet. You know, the there where you're, and we were, it was fine dining. And I said to her on the, on the way back, we were traveling. I said, I want this. I said, I, I want, she goes, you have it. And it's like, how often do we already have what we say we want, but we don't appreciate it. We live in a beautiful place, but we're stuck in an apartment. We have people that would gladly be friends with us, but we don't want to take initiative or we'd rather be in our jammies because we've already, you know, we haven't changed clothes or whatever. So I think we have to be awake and open to what is already around us and take advantage of that. Just like for me, when I was at the factory, it would have been easy to believe it's too late. I've waited too long. I've squandered the opportunity. But to say, I don't know what I want, but I'll take one class. It just takes the next right steps. And that that's about responsibility. Well, Marlene, thank you so much for being with us today. I appreciate it. And I encourage my listeners, I'll put a link, of course, in the show notes to From Conflict to Courage, How to Stop Avoiding and Start Leading. 
I love reading books in this space and I'm definitely going to go and um, download that today. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Conflict Managed. Thank you, Marlene, for your time. Conflict Manage airs new episodes every Tuesday. If you have a question that you would like answered on Conflict Managed or someone you would like to see interviewed, please contact us at 3pconflictrestoration at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Our music is by Dev Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care. <laughs>